0: Welcome to It's Personal Finance Canada, I'm Christine Conway
1: and I'm Cameron Conway
0: and this podcast is a very personal look at personal finance in Canada. Welcome to It's Personal Finance Canada, I'm Christine Conway here with Cameron Conway and today we're going to talk about the dark side of frugal living. Whether you're part of the FIRE movement or part of another initiative that is all about restricting your lifestyle today for the promise of a better tomorrow, there are downsides to this type of living. And I think that that's something that needs to be discussed a little bit more openly. Because a lot of people are all gung-ho about the pros of living frugally or the pros of early retirement or all of these things that have attractiveness and appeal to us, but sometimes we fail to kind of count the cost and different emotional responses can start to sneak in. So some of those we wanted to talk about today, like the fear of missing out, uh, even financial regret can be part of that conversation as well. So that is what we are going to discuss today, the dark side of frugal living.
1: Yeah, it feels like today it's hard to kind of scroll through the news or Reddit and not see another story of people being regretful about their financial choices, be it big purchases, little purchases, or just keeping up with inflation or anything else. It feels like there is just a lot of regret, whether you are lower class, middle class or upper class.
0: Well, and I think the point is that the regret can be on both sides of the scale. So some people will overextend themselves and find themselves in difficulty financially. And other people might do the exact opposite where they're essentially restricting their spending to the point where they regret not doing some of the things that other people have done. But yeah, I've seen those stories too. So why don't we start there where people have lived large, so they've lived the big lifestyle and they've got the uh, the debt to prove it. So I think that we see a lot of trying to impress others out there today, and especially with the way asset prices have changed, with the way the economy has changed, people are still wanting to make sure that other people know that they're doing well, and they're not in any kind of financial pain. So there's a lot of positioning and posturing, I think, that happens around this area, where people essentially project a life that they want to show, which may be very different than their actual financial reality.
1: Well, exactly. It's like, People who are making like 200k a year but are dirt poor because of debt and liabilities, and it's just this ever-growing trap of trying to appear well-off while not actually being so. And this is just fueled by the thought that oh, I have to look successful. I have to look this way in order to get people to like me or to have that sense of status. But it really could just be like those old western towns you see on the desert, where it's just this nice fancy facade up front, but there's nothing behind it.
0: Yeah, I think I heard once, and this is going to be a bit of a paraphrase, but a uh, quote that essentially said, one of the biggest things that steal our joy in life is this picture in our heads of what we thought our life would be. So we set these expectations for ourselves, and then we see other people live them out, and we start to question our own decisions. So if you were someone that went the fire route, that went the frugality route, you're no stranger to... Closing the pocketbook and doing things like the No Spend Challenge and doing things like making sure you have a lifestyle that is aligned to a brighter tomorrow. But in that big, long stretch of time between today and tomorrow, there's a whole lot of things that can happen emotionally where you can see your friends, your peers, your social group living the high life. And that can get a little bit daunting i think over time so how do we deal with these feelings that kind of crop up through all of this process and what do we do with these thoughts that we might be having that essentially maybe these choices i made aren't leading to me to that life that i pictured in my head at least not today
1: it seems that a lot of people they just don't tend to look at what is the actual cost behind everything, especially when you're kind of on the FOMO train, you're trying to buy what everyone else has. If all oh, if so-and-so has a house, oh, you have to go get a house. If so-and-so has two houses, you have to go get the second house. Oh, if they have this car, you have to get that car. But it's hard to kind of justify the real cause because yes, you can get these things and you can either impress or just barely keep up, but no one is going to be there to help bail you out when the debt piles up. No one's there. No one is going to be there to kind of help dig you out of this hole that you dug yourself in just to make yourself look like someone else who looks successful. But for all you know, they could be in more or just as much debt and trouble financially as you are.
0: Yeah. And I think on both sides of the fences here, what's missing is that honest transparency about our finances. And that's something that society likes to keep under lock and key. I mean, most of us don't even tell our closest friends how we're doing financially and As a financial planner, what I see on a daily basis is that the nice stuff and the big house and the great neighborhood doesn't necessarily equal financial security. So the people that have lived large and have really enjoyed the life along the way, maybe will have financial regret later on. So it's essentially this balancing act where some people are regretting or feeling badly about the frugality that they're in today because they don't have this nice stuff. But the people with the nice stuff are saying, oh my goodness, now I'm really worried about the future. So... Essentially, the challenge that we find ourselves in is that there's only so much money to go around. And when you start to peel back the curtain, you realize that not a lot of us can afford to have everything. And we really do have to pick and choose what we want and what we want to prioritize for our families, whether it's that big experience now or the big experience later during our retirement or an early retirement or maybe we've accustomed ourselves to frugal living and it's frugality all the way through. But that kind of brings us to the the kind of, there is no safety net here either, right? No one's going to help you if you fall behind. And if you find yourself in a position where you've gone and chased all this big, nice stuff, and then something goes wrong with your life or in your life, something unexpected happens, or... Retirement happens maybe sooner than you thought through a layoff or through something outside of your control, and then there's no safety net there. So where does the money come from? Does it come from the big house? As you see more and more people who have that nice lifestyle taking out these reverse mortgages as they get over because there's not enough savings, or does it come from somewhere else? So let's kind of try and lift the veil and look at some of the numbers behind the scenes To kind of show that whether you're living large or living frugally, there really is only so much to go around for most of us.
1: Well, I guess the easy way to kind of put this all in perspective is to kind of look at the average median income of Canada. Uh, We'll link the the site we use to show these numbers in the description. So average median income. So this is kind of like the middle of that bell curve. In BC, it's $50,749. Ontario, it's $52,600. And the top of the list for the provinces is Alberta with a flat $60,000. And right at the bottom are the New Brunswickers with a $43,400 average annual income in Canada.
0: And remember, we like using the median because it's smack dab in the middle. It's not going to be skewed by higher income earnings on one side or really low income earning on the other side. It's essentially lining all of the range up and then dropping the pin right in the middle.
1: But you see that for most of the country, this sort of normal average is sitting around to the $50,000 a year mark. So when you kind of play like the FOMO game It makes it hard to kind of see how you can really keep up on an average salary these days. And this is gross. This doesn't even include like taxes and everything else. Because with taxes, that $50,000 can drop down to about just under $40,000. So $50,000 after tax in BC is like $39,997.
0: Well, and if you look at it in an hourly basis, which a lot of people like to do, because then you can really see for an hour worked, what am I getting for the money spent? $50,000 per year is only about $24 an hour. And again, that's on a before tax basis, it drops down a little bit just to over $19 an hour after taxes are calculated in. And when you look at it that way, I mean, you're really not too, too far off of the minimum wage.
1: Well, no. And one of the little personal fine tips I've used for a long time is to if there's something I want, I break it down to how many hours of minimum wage does it cost? Like you, you can use your own personal wage, but I always thought minimum wage is kind of like a good safe way. So if I want this coffee, am I ready to work 45 minutes at a low end retail job or a minimum wage job to get this? If I want the jug of milk, how many hours is it? And it's kind of my little quick way to see is there actual value in this thing I want? And what would I be willing to do to get it kind of using that minimum wage or one of the jobs I used to have when I was younger, how many hours am I willing to put in for kind of that garbage work to get this thing in front of me?
0: Well, that right, it totally frames things differently when you look at it as time spent at your hourly rate for the sticker price of the purchase that you're about to make or are wanting to make or that you dream of making. And I think that when you frame it that way, it kind of starts to drop the curtain a little bit and takes away from this myth. So the fear of missing out is based on an illusion. It's based on seeing something that may or may not be reality. It's seeing something that is projected by other people that they want you to see without letting you look behind the curtain to see what their actual financial picture is. And like I said, as a financial planner, I get to see a lot of both sides of the equation. And I can absolutely say to you, with a lot of confidence and certainty that for most, living large does come with that big price tag, and it does come with some debt or with some serious need to do financial management. So when you find yourself suffering from the fear of missing out, ask yourself kind of what's a reality for the average person in your province, in your country, whether it's you or me. I mean, most of us, like I said, are somewhere in that mid-range. Of course, there will be people that do better. And of course, there will be people that do worse. But how much of the dream that we've come to look at and expect for ourselves, that illusion that we're setting up in our minds of this life that we imagine we're going to have, how much of that is based on reality now with the cost of living being where it is? And the flip side of that for those of us that have gone the frugal route, that are essentially trying to save our pennies, is really seeing how much it does cost the other people that are living at large. Because when you see the actual cost and how it compromises your future, then you might feel a lot better about the choices that you're making today, even if you're not having those same experiences, or if you're not having that big house and nice car and a fancy coffee every morning with your breakfast.
1: Yeah, it just comes down to what is that true cost? Like I said, just kind of using that hourly figure in your head to determine, is this thing I want worth 200 hours of my labor? Plus 20% because I put it on a credit card.
0: Yeah, that's right. Well, and I think tying it to time like that is a real big eye-opener because without that, you just kind of swipe the credit card dollars in dollars out, don't think about it. But when you're standing at your job and you're kind of sweating it out in there and you're watching the clock and then an hour is crawling by very slowly, that puts it in a whole different perspective where it goes back to like the Your Money or Your Life book conversation, where it really is you kind of sweating it out in your job for that period of time to get that lifestyle and then having to make the decision of is it worth it
1: yeah is it worth it to you is it worth it to the neighbors around you is it worth it to your friends and what is your day-to-day life worth to yourself and to these other people and just coming to you to the deciding point of which one is more important is things are things more important to you or are they more important to other people and their opinion of you
0: Well, and circling back to the very beginning of the conversation, you and I, Cam, have both seen no shortage of articles out there where people are essentially feeling the pain of the choices that they've made now that circumstances have changed, now that interest rates are higher, now that debt servicing cost is a little bit more onerous and a little bit more draining on our pocketbook, groceries are more, everything is more geez, you can't open a paper it seems these days without seeing a story of a family that's struggling. And usually it's a family that have tried to live large or that have felt that FOMO and tried to keep up with the Joneses, tried to keep up with their neighbors, bought the big house, thought they were doing okay because, hey, they qualified for it, right? And then essentially things changed and And then they weren't feeling so good. And I think the scariest part when you try and do it that way, when you try and live large is from that big high, I mean, it's a long way down, right? And it's almost more embarrassing and more of a negative from a perception point of view when you have to backstep. Although taking a step back financially can be the right decision for a lot of people in a lot of circumstances. So let's talk about housing for a minute. As of January 2023, ratehub.ca, they put out a survey that was based on each province, some of the major provinces in Canada, the average home price and the income needed to service it. and. We'll pick on Vancouver and Winnipeg because those are the ones that are kind of near and dear to our hearts. So in Vancouver here, the average home price was well over $1.1 million. And of course, that's not single family homes. That's everything in between from your condo to your townhouse to your single family home.
1: To a uh, $40,000 van down by the river.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that is the way these days. Uh, and one
1: quarter of a basement suite.
0: That's, yeah, duplex living, right?
1: A Uh, laneway house on top of a chicken coop.
0: Hey, you know what? I've seen people sell laneway houses. Or try to sell laneway houses as they are. It's crazy. Anyways, income needed for that was almost $170,000 for the household. Uh, Whereas in Winnipeg, if you're looking at an average home price of $323,600, the average household income needed is $72,500. So you can see right there how just by changing the geography, the dream changes, right? What you can aspire to here, uh, it would be very different from what you could reach easily in a place like Winnipeg. And I mean, Toronto kind of topped the list in terms of income needs. So I think we should shout out to Toronto here, uh, where the average home price was again, well over a million dollars. And the income needed was $207,000 for the household. And I mean, if you look at at some stats can figures, not a whole lot of people in this country make that kind of salary.
1: No, when you kind of get up around the $200,000 family, you're kind of up in like the top 5% of Canadians, which kind of really, really narrows things down. But kind of going back to like the geography thing that this FOMO thing can just play off of what is expected. Like when we grew up in Winnipeg, if you were in anything other than a detached single family home you were seen as a failure or poor or you have done things terribly wrong but you come up to Vancouver and you don't have that same kind of social pressure where townhouses condos row homes is perfectly fine but this is kind of the games that people kind of play and get stuck in trying to kind of chase the FOMO where yeah in Winnipeg you had to have a house and anything below that you were stigmatized.
0: Well, and like I said, that's the expectation. That's the picture that we put in our heads of what our life will be like. And when we use that as our measuring stick, essentially everything that we do in our lives or everything that we have in our lives, we're comparing it to that picture. So I think when people start like a fire journey or a frugality journey right off the bat, they might still have that picture in their head and that can set them up for feelings of regret if essentially they realize that if I want to live frugal now, I'm not going to get that white picket fence and that's detached single family home. And, you know, maybe I wouldn't have otherwise, or if I had, maybe I truly couldn't have afforded it in the city I've chosen to live in. Um, but I think that understanding and addressing that these feelings are becoming more and more normal or more and more common for people because of the decisions we have to make. And We used to look at it as, hey, you could have it all, just get a good job and you'll be made in the shade. And I don't think that's the conversation anymore. I don't think that's the reality for a lot of people. Whereas if you're an average person working an average job, you're going to have to pick and choose what you want. And I think that Some of the people that we idealize a little bit that live at large and when we feel that FOMO, the people that are taking their nice vacations, eating at those $200 steakhouses every night, they might be switching out their dream. So they might have said, I can't have this home. I'm going to be renting for the rest of my life. I'm okay with that now. But... As a trade-off, now I want to have these experiences. And so I'm going to post these experiences all over social media. So maybe you and I have made a different decision. Maybe we live in a condo. Maybe we live in a townhouse. And we've said, okay, that's good enough.
1: Or maybe we took a free course on Photoshop and we could have all those experiences online for free.
0: Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Yes, but... In context, they might have switched out something that you have as a dream for a daily experience of luxury. And I heard recently from someone that I was speaking to, he said to me, we're talking a little bit about uh, economics and the current condition. And he said to me, he goes, you know what, Christine, what I believe in is lipstick luxury. And I said, lipstick luxury, what is that? And he said, it's those small things that are inexpensive that people who have the money can do even in hard times, will do to make themselves feel a little bit better. And I thought, hmm, that's actually a really cool concept. I I don't know if it's uniquely his or if it's something that he's heard somewhere else. But essentially that idea of we look at the large luxuries, especially with the fear of missing out, but maybe we miss the little luxuries that cost significantly less that can still give us some satisfaction, but aren't necessarily breaking the bank.
1: Yeah. And kind of piggybacking off that we talked a lot about just kind of impressing the neighbors, and impressing the strangers, kind of keep the social standing. But big part of this is also your network of friends and whether or not you want to keep up with them. But then it's also just are your kind of day to day experiences with your friends dependent on how much money you can spend?
0: Well, that's right. Do you feel like if there's a certain social group you need to see, you're going to be meeting them at the bar and dropping two hundred dollars for the night? or is it more if you want to go see a friend and catch up, you can do that over a cup of coffee at their house? Significantly different price points. Are you the kind of person that needs to go see a concert to see these these people that you hang out with or a sports event or something like that. And again, the price tag and the expectation that that group has for what they view as a good time might vary considerably. And when we do things like a no-spend challenge or when we do things like exploring the world of becoming frugal, maybe for the first time, does that fit in with your current social circles and with your current lifestyle? And will your friends kind of go the other way or or start excluding you from plans if you decide you suddenly don't want to drop that $200 every Friday night.
1: Well, all this kind of comes down to is it a real relationship or is this just a joint spending spree? And I know this gets a little esoteric, but it's just finding these kind of relationships where you can have genuine connection with people and genuine enjoyment and sharing good experiences and conversation and everything else without having to always have a price tag attached to it. Because this is kind of the difficult part, especially as you kind of get older, it's just being able to have this time with other people in a way where you can all enjoy each other's company, but not simultaneously rack up everyone's credit card.
0: Well, and I think that this is where the answer actually comes in. And we've talked about how all of this in our social groups is veiled in mystery. And I think that the biggest thing that you can do to put everybody on equal playing field, once again, is to lift the veil. And maybe you don't want to get super deep with your friends and be like, hey, I've got $40,000 of credit card debt. How are you doing today? But uh, what you might want to do is say something like, hey, you know what? I have to save a few bucks. I've got something I'm working towards. If you don't want to say it's a credit card, that's fine. Um, But Can we just go for a walk in the park instead of go to see a soccer game or something like that? Or can we find an alternate way? Can we get together at my place uh, instead of going to the pub or whatever it might be? But I think maybe when you start having those honest conversations of, you know what, I've been feeling stressed about money. Now, that's something that almost everyone can relate to. And you can choose how much more you want to disclose after that. It doesn't always have to be dollars and cents. It can just be a, hey, you know, I'm having this feeling or, hey, I'm concerned my retirement's down the road and I don't think I have enough saved. So I'm going to start making a few changes in the way that I live my life today because I don't want to regret any of it. I don't want to regret it down the road later on but I want to make sure that the experiences I'm having today are good enough so that I'm also not regretting that now and if it just sounds like a lot of regret all the way around I mean really what we're trying to do is we're trying to pick and choose what for you is of the greatest value and I think that's how you can come to terms within yourself and within your social group of how to position a good time in a way that doesn't necessarily cost a lot of money. And the goal here is is to make sure that it's just not a one-off, like, oh, hey, today we're going to come to my house for a cup of coffee instead of going out. But it's turning it into a lifestyle pattern, turning it into a, yeah, let's get together at my place on Saturday and watch the game instead of going to the pub and, and watching it on the TV there. So ultimately, for these changes to have an impact, that honesty and that openness I think it'll deepen the relationships that you have and it'll help you as you move on your financial journey and you might even feel like, Maybe you're not walking down this financial path alone anymore. Maybe there are people that you already care about in your life that are willing to take the walk with you. And maybe they were just waiting for you to say, you know what, I'm feeling this. So that they're like, oh my goodness, thank you so much for saying that. I've been feeling the same, but I didn't think I could talk to you about it. Or I didn't know who I could talk to about it. So I've just been keeping it inside. So essentially today we've talked about two different things that are on opposite sides of the same coin. There's the dark side of fire where you essentially have regrets with how you're living now. And I think that a lot of that can be handled with having a deep and meaningful and cheap social life and a deep and meaningful and cheap family relationships and finding activities that are lovable and enjoyable and satisfying to you that don't necessarily break the bank. And then on the other side of it, we talked about FOMO and the fear of missing out where maybe you're tempted to reach farther than you can. And again, I think the solution there is lifting the veil and realizing that maybe that friend or that person that you've idolized, I mean, yes, maybe they do have it all. Maybe they have that great job. Maybe they're in the top 5% or 1% of Canada and they can make it all work. Or maybe they inherited a great amount of money. And if so, good on them, but that's outside of our control. So maybe if we lift the veil there and start having those conversations, you can realize that the stress doesn't change with the circumstances in a lot of times. And whether you're living frugally or living at large, there will be some element of looking towards for something else. And I think that's just kind of one of the dark sides of being a human. You're always looking for a resolution somewhere else, Or if you're dealing with limited dollars, as we saw with the average wages across Canada, with the average incomes across Canada, it really is harder and harder in certain parts of this country to do it all. So it's understanding that when it looks like you are, maybe that person is not. And maybe we just don't see it all or see it properly. So I would say I mean, maybe the challenge for this week is just have a conversation with one of your friends, with one of the people you love about finances. And like I said, it can be as little or as a lot revealing as you want it to be. And if not about numbers, it can be about feelings. It can be about apprehensions. It can be about what the future would look like, either if you've spent all your money now or if you've saved all your money now, maybe you're excited about what your future will look like because you're saving a lot now and maybe you can teach them or maybe they are wanting to learn and maybe they're going to say to themselves, hmm, maybe all this stuff is not worth compromising my future or compromising the lifestyle that I'm going to want to have down the road. So it all comes back to conversations in my mind. And I think a lot of the fear, a lot of the regret, and a lot of these attitudes and these mentalities and these thoughts that we have can really be dispersed with good conversations with good people that we care about. So we hope you enjoyed listening today. If you are looking to talk to someone about your finances and getting a neutral third party, a financial planner to look at it, and you're in the BC area, feel free to reach out to us at Braun Financial, BraunFinancial.com. We're always happy to help. And until next time, take care.
1: And all the best.